Shabbat Shalom. So this week has been, I've been excited to be able to come up here this week because as I was reading and studying, for quite some time now I've been debating back and forth whether or not I want to embrace the tradition of sitting while teaching. Um, and I was reading from the Haftar this week and I realized, oh, we're reading from Isaiah this week. And so I decided it was probably a good week to start doing that because our master himself read from the scroll of Isaiah and then sat to teach. And so I think if I'm going to follow in his footsteps, it should be a good policy to maybe uh, do the things that he did. Yeah. It's a great excuse for laziness. Yeah. We'll talk to Yeshua about that. Um, so anyway, so I was looking this week and uh, you know reading through the, the Brit Chadashah in Matthew 19. It talks to, and one of the recommended readings for this week is in Matthew 19 when it discusses honoring father and mother. And I thought it was interesting that that was a recommended reading for this week because of the Torah Parsha for this week, which is Yitro, which is He's the father-in-law of Moses, and so we're talking about honoring, you know, and Moses does that. He honors his father-in-law, Jethro, by, you know, listening to his advice and employing the, what he tells him he should do. And so I was, you know, beginning to think, you know, even though he was his father-in-law, he does, what he, Jethro does for Moses in the Parsha isn't necessarily what most father-in-laws uh, do all the time, is come and offering uh, advice on governing a nation, uh, you know, as they follow God into the wilderness. And so, you know, Jethro is more like a teacher at this point, more like a mentor. He's, you know, he's come to Moses, he's brought him his wife and his children, and he's saying, hey, look, I've sat back for a day or two, watched your camp, and I've seen that, you know, this is not good for you to be doing. You're going to wear yourself out. But I like that their relationship is you know read about in this week and that this reading in Matthew about honoring father and mother is included as well because you know we read it throughout the New Testament that Paul's disciples he read, he talks about them like their sons like they're his own children Timothy and Titus are two of these As a matter of fact he addresses them as such in his letters you know he trained them in what you know, they called the way and he trained them in ministry he trained them to train others in their communities and to raise up disciples, people who could then go and make more disciples. And you know, we read that about Jethro basically telling Moses to do that. And you know, that is the Great Commission. The Great Commission isn't about making converts. You know, a lot of the world believes in Yeshua. They believe he existed. They believe he was a prophet or a teacher or a great man. But following him, walking in his ways, that takes instruction and training. And so the Great Commission is more about training people to walk as he walked, less about believing what's written on the pages about him. That's a big part of it, because you can't do what he did if you don't believe who he said he was, but the training has to come. And so that is the big part of the Great Commission. So he's tra they're training teachers to train others. You know, there's one of my favorite ancient documents, the Didache. It's, you know, most scholars reference it as a historical work, is that it belonged to the apostles. It was written down early on. Some scholars say it was written well before the Brit Hadashah was put to pen, that it was taught orally, and it acts sort of as a, uh, almost as a Mishnah, 
or apostolic faith, how we're supposed to live, especially people coming from Gentile backgrounds, people who would have, their lives would have been filled with idolatry and sexual immorality because those are the big things it addresses. And it, you know, it's calling people out of that lifestyle and introducing them to a Jewish lifestyle as people who had zero idea of what Judaism was about or how to live it. Because today, we're, we kind of cheat. You know, a lot of us that come from Christian backgrounds, we are basic, I mean, Christianity really is mostly Jewish. You know, they, they leave out a lot of things, but in reality, Christianity takes from the mindset of Judaism. So we are, at, we had, most of us have an, an advantage that someone who worshiped in the Roman Parthenon would not have had, um, you know, an understanding what God sees as right and wrong, maybe not things specific like Shabbat or Passover, but definitely the overwhelming, you know, moral good that comes out of the Bible. Uh, sometimes in Judaism they're called the Noahide laws, things like uh, just basic morality. And so, you know, Yeshua's apostles were trained by him. You know, a lot of people will bring up, well, you know, no one really trained the apostles. No one, they don't really have an education. No, 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 no. They had God educating them on this earth. So, you know, we don't, that's not an excuse to be, you know, have a hand against, you know, being educated or taught or trained because they had the best teacher. So then they could go and make students of their own and so that they could become teachers and on and on and on. Even Paul was trained before he became a believer. He trained and sat at the feet of Gamliel, one of the you know, great Jewish teachers of their day, one of the contemporaries of their day. And so, you know, Paul was brought to faith miraculously, very suddenly, but he wasn't an uneducated man. He hadn't, he wasn't just some guy off the street. He was, you know, sort of really in a way born for the role of taking the gospel, being an apostle. I mean, look at the letters he writes. You know, they're amazing. You know, for years in many law schools in the U.S., the Book of Romans was used as a example of how to make a law case because it's laid out perfectly. It's a complete, it's like, here's what I'm bringing up, I'm laying this case before you, and here's how to resolve it, and here's the, here's the ruling that the judge, the judge should take. So for years, Romans was used because Paul was just such a good uh, writer, and I imagine an even better speaker. And so, you know, we get into Jethro, and every week I like to mention, uh, when, I, when I remember that it's which Parsha of the week we're in, so we kind of are aware of where we are in the year, and that's, we're in 17 of 54. What I like about Jethro is that he's known by several names, and this is one of the first things I recognized uh, this year, and I kind of brought it to Rabbi, asking some questions of what is, you know, this is interesting that we have this man with, you know, it's four or five different names and titles that we see him referenced by in the Bible, you know, um, from earlier in Exodus, when Moses is first meeting him in Zipporah, all the way uh, through, I believe, Judges, and on into, I think, Hebrews. And so, I started to add, think, you know, whenever I see someone with multiple titles and names, who, who else are they like in the book? So who else do we see in the Bible that has, you know, more than one name, more than one title? Uh, the first one that kind of came to my mind was, uh, you know, Melchizedek. You know, I, I, I hold to the tradition that he was Shem, and that Melchizedek is not necessarily a name, but a title. And, you know, translated, it means, my king is righteousness. Uh, and Shem means your name. It's why we say, you know, Hashem, the name of God. 
you know, and I like Melchizedek's name, and this is kind of off where I, my, my teaching is going in the direction, but it's a side note, and I talked a little bit about this yesterday on Facebook, but I love his name because it stands true when it's, you know, because you, you know, he's a type and a shadow of Yeshua. And so my king, our king, is righteousness. Yeshua is righteousness. But I also think it's a very practical name to say my king is righteousness. You know, the thing that rules you and governs you, it, that is your king. You know, Yeshua tells us you can't have two masters. You only, only one can rule you. And so if your king is righteousness, if that is what's at the top of your head, of your heart, that is what you'll be pursuing and going after. So I thought uh, that was just an interesting read for this week. Yeshua also has multiple names. I only listed a couple just for time, but uh, some of my favorites, Emmanuel, God with us, and Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. One of the songs this morning that was brought back to my mind, you know, is he rules the earth. He is our king forever, our prince of peace. But these all, all of these have something else in common besides just having multiple names and titles. They're priestly people. You know, all of these people are either directly called priests or do priestly things. You know, and out of these three, Yeshua, Jethro, and Melchizedek, they're all called priests directly. But, you know, they're not Levitical priests, so you know, what kind of priests are they? I tend to think that, you know, Jethro was probably a lot like Melchizedek. There wasn't, the nation of Israel wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't the faith. Uh, yet there were other people who descended from Abraham who continued to observe Abraham's things, uh, like circumcision, uh, and, you know, a lot of the different moral commandments, and even a lot of the things that sometimes we don't think of as being moral, like keeping the feasts, but those are moral, because God tells us to keep them. And so I think, you know, Jethro probably was very much so uh, like Abraham, you know, he kept Abraham's statutes, his commandments, he was probably circumcised, he was you know, a descendant of, you know, of Midian, of Abraham and Keturah, and so there's no reason for me to believe that he was uh, doing something different. Uh, a lot of tradition teaches that he was a pagan priest. Rabbi talked about that this morning in Foundations, but there's, there's nothing in the text that implies that, and uh, there's, you use enough deductive reasoning, and there's really nothing to lead you to that either. And so, you know, Jethro essentially brings to Moses discipleship and uh, simicha, which is, you know, ordination. You know, you were to disciple people and appoint them, ordain them to these positions of judges uh, and leaders among the people. And so, you know, you know uh, in Exodus 18.20, which I have marked because I wanted to read, you know, Jethro tells them, you should teach them God's commands and explain to them how they should live and what they should do. And whenever you know, I'm reading about or discussing discipleship, that's mostly what discipleship is. You know, discipleship is not a necessarily a classroom environment. It can include that though, but it's more of a light, it's more of a heavily invested, completely, um, you know, like swimming. You don't, if you're really actually swimming, you don't just put your feet in the water, you actually jump in and you actually are moving around, and sometimes you float to rest, but sometimes it's an active, uh, you know, a very aggressive um, thing, and you're, you're walking it, you're living it, you know, you're trying to breathe while being surrounded and nearly drowned by it, but it's an all-encompassing 
uh, facet of life. And so you're learning the commandments of God and you're learning his ways. And that's what Moses, uh, Jethro is telling Moses is that he should teach them these things because you know, he, as he's bringing commandments to the people and providing judgment for them, they need to know some of the little things because you know, believe it or not, Torah doesn't cover every specific minute issue that we run into in life. And so, you know, that's why he tells them, you know, these people are to be trained and there to be people of character. You know, they're supposed to be God-fearing men. You know, they have to be trusted, they can't be bribed because sometimes when you make a decision that maybe there's not a chapter and verse you can point to in Torah, you have to be able to take the principles found within the text and apply it to whatever current problem you're having. That is not a good thing if the person doesn't fear God. Because they have, if that person doesn't realize that this thing I'm about to tell this person as a teacher or a judge, if it is not godly or it leads them to ungodly behavior, I stand in a way responsible for having told them this and instructed them to do this. So if they're God-fearing and they're trustworthy and they can't be bribed by money or power, then they're going to be able to stand and say, you know, make a ruling based in Torah with the principle found in Torah, and it will stand as a good ruling, as a godly ruling. And so, you know, Exodus 18.21, you know, he tells them you were to appoint them. So he's to ordain them. You know, usually this, we see this, this is the laying on of hands, and they, you have authority imparted to you to take on a leadership role, you know, to teach or to make decisions. You know, we see this in the, the New Testament. This would have been an avid, this would have been a very active part of the apostolic community as they made disciples, and when they felt they were trained, they would you know, lay hands and pass it on and say, go make more disciples, bring up more teachers to you know, continue spreading the gospel and you know, bringing people into living lives of righteousness. And so you know, I think discipleship seems to be an Abrahamic practice because you know, we, we see this really handed down uh, through Jethro. And then Judaism takes it and makes it into this you know, very amazing, wonderful, complex thing. It's very intensive. Uh, I was reading one time where you know, a student rabbi will often, and I don't do this, but will often take, you know, put on the same, his shoe, he'll observe what his rabbi does first. If he puts on his right shoe first, he puts on his right shoe first. If he puts on his left shoe first, his left shoe first. And so it's sort of a, a you know, it's a direct imitation of who you're learning other. And there are other things I do to imitate, you know, a rabbi. You know, one of the things I can think of is, you know, a lot of the financial, the talks that you know we've had and I've gone okay I need to do this with my finances especially as someone who's still very young and growing up and you know doesn't necessarily understand um, money like someone who has you know lived with money and has handled money for years and years and I'm not trying to call you old I'm just you know <laughs> yeah well it's okay probably deserve it but anyway the uh, so, you know, it's a very intensive process. It's something, you know, you're paying attention to your teacher. That's why when Yeshua came to his disciples and said, follow me, he wasn't just saying, oh, by the way, I want you to sign up for my uh, healing class, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, three to four. 
you know, I want you to come follow me. It would have been a lived experience. They would have lived, and they did. They lived with him, walked with him, went everywhere and listened to him and, and practiced the things he taught them around him and with others. And, you know, but they were being educated. They were being taught. You know, and so, were, and, you know, I believe that, you know, it doesn't say it in the text, but I believe the same practice would have been going on with these men that Moses brought up. He would have trained, you know, probably the same number that Yeshua would have trained, you know, in the tens. And then they would have gone and done the same. You know, they would have ordained them, and they would have trained more and more. And, you know, it's, their education wasn't necessarily a piece of paper or degree saying, oh, by the way, I, you know, have a doctorate and, you know, making decisions about, you know, Torah. But, you know, education, when you can say to someone, I have studied under so-and-so, I have, you know, I've spent time studying and learning, yeah, you're telling someone that you've kind of been vetted. Paul does this. You know, he tells when he's being tried by the, you know, the, the Jews in Jerusalem that, well, by the way, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. I actually kind of know what I'm talking about. And so, you know, it's, it says I've invested time in study. I've invested time in practically applying this. You know, I've spent time learning and gaining discernment. You know, these people, and, you know, it serves future people who will learn from them as well because you'll, if you were training up people quickly and kind of ushering them out the door and all of a sudden they're on their own able to teach whoever they want, whatever they want, they haven't really been vetted. So when you spend, you know, months and years training and discipling someone, you're able to kind of vet them out and see, are these people going to stay faithful? Are they going to be faithful to Yeshua, to the Word of God, to truth? Are they going to, you know, stay faithful to what matters? You know, I, uh, you know, I, I struggled years ago with this, and it's actually part of my testimony is that God sort of redeemed me and saved me out of a bad place of listening to people who were not vetted well. And there were a lot of bad ideas and a lot of, uh, even if they weren't bad, distracting ideas, ideas that take away from Yeshua, ideas that take away from living a life of godliness in general. One of my favorite things to say because it's, and people, if you listen, you'll hear me say it often or write it often about, uh, because it has to do with what Yeshua calls the greatest commandment is to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. I often will say, you know, does it bless God? Does it glorify God and does it bless my neighbor? And if it doesn't, it's probably, you know, at worst, you know, a, a distraction. At best, it's, you know, probably just interesting information. But, you know, when people aren't vetted out, you know, I was listening to these you know, people who weren't vetted and who hated, who hated education, who hated things like uh, scholarship. And, you know, this really turned me into a wrong direction. And I praise God that he was able to turn me around and say, you know, you need to, you know, you can need to listen to people who are actually living out godly lives and who can say, I have spent time in ministry or, you know, I'm bearing the fruit of the Spirit and I can, you know, show this with my life. When I first showed up to Messianic Congregation years ago, the uh, thing I asked God as he was beginning to change my heart in this area was, are these people bearing the fruit of the Spirit? 
and you know, are they walking out the commandments of God? Are they, you know, are they worshiping in spirit and in truth? Because the truth part matters just as much as the spirit does. Because if the spirit is, is there, if the will and the heart is there, but they're teaching on truths, then you know, we, we have a problem. And you know, reading this passage, we kind of brought this all to mind because, uh, because I have a background with dealing with that mentality, I asked the question, you know, would I have despised the words of the judges that Moses appointed, you know, when they came to make rulings, or I went up and asked them questions, you know, would I have looked at them with disdain because they were discipled under Moses, because they were educated men? And, uh, you know, that's a question that, you know, I think all of us wrestle with at some time or another. In my case, a lot of times, it's just because I don't like what I'm hearing. And I always tell this to people as well, if I have to wrestle with something more than once or twice, I probably already know the answer, I just don't like the answer. And so, you know, sometimes educated people, people who have been trained and ordained to tell the truth and to speak into our lives, they are, you know, they're, they're looking out for our well-being. And sometimes they're gonna tell us things we don't like. I know I often get told things I don't like. You know, and so, yeah, I mean, and, and we need to. If I get told everything that I like, then, you know, that can be a dangerous, a dangerous place to be in. You know, self-appointed people can be dangerous. You know, that's why, you know, the Bible always shows this road of people being discipled and then given authority to go and, and teach. Because if they're not, you know, you have no idea where they're going to lead you. You know, it is, it is like you can look back and say, okay, who taught this person? Okay, Paul, Gamaliel taught Paul. So Paul should know the law pretty well. You know, the apostles of Yeshua, you know, they were, they were healed and they brought truth and spirit, you know, to the world. And they brought the message of redemption, that you can you know, be redeemed and have the opportunity to live a life of righteousness before God. You know, if you looked and you saw that, you know, these men are of Yeshua and they live and behave like Yeshua, then you know you can look at them and go, okay, you know, these guys are these are good, and I can listen to them. You know, I think you know, especially for whatever reason, the messianic world could avoid a lot of heartache by better vetting the people we listen to, especially online, especially this past year. Uh, I you know, I've had to deal with a lot of you know personal friends who have gone in different directions, and I've you know tried to say, look, I you know, I really wish you would. Make, they're not even saying bad things sometimes, but it's taking away from where they could be. Rather than spending time with people and you know, with the things of God, you know, they get you know, lured into spending a lot of time online, listening, and trying to grow in, in areas that aren't gonna benefit them or the people around them. And again, it comes back to that question, the greatest commandment, you know, does it glorify God, does it bless neighbor? You know, because people can twist things. You know, and sadly, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say if you leave out the right verses and the right words and, you know, if you ignore important uh, scholarship because, again, scholarship is important. You know, Peter tells us this about Paul's letters. He tells us, you know, people will twist them, especially those who are, you know, are unlearned. You know, they'll, they can take them and make them say things they want to. And we have an entire religion today that has done exactly that and exists only solely, not solely, but primarily because a lot of the things that Paul said were twisted and changed up. 
I'm not saying educated people are always right. Can I have my water, please? Thank you. I'm certainly not saying that, you know, educated people are always right. Because they're not. Often are not. But most people are often not. But more often than most, they're able to be intellectually honest and acknowledge when they're wrong, when they're proven wrong. You know, when I was, when I was younger, I was always fascinated by science, still am. I love creation, I love looking at the things that God has made, they're amazing, and you know, especially things like the designs of animals and you know, bacteria, and just looking at the, just the immaculate, amazing, artistic, engineering that God puts into creation. And one of the things I love about science outside of just the beauty of creation is peer review. That they have rooms and you know online lobbies full of people who are educated who take what you know what each of them write or teach about and will be like, mm, no, I think you're wrong and I can prove it. And they go back and forth like this editing each other's stuff showing here's how you, here's how here's where this is wrong but it can be correct if this is changed or if you look at it this way peer review helps maintain orthodoxy it helps maintain you know a a easy stride you know it's why you know when it, you know when a community makes a decision about how we're going to do a certain feast or you know how we're going to observe it you know, when all the elders are in agreement, it just, it flows easy. And when you have people who will challenge it, you know, usually if it's people who are supposed to be challenging it, that's why we have elders, and that's why we have people who are, you know, appointed in those positions to say, hey, wait a second, let's look at this, let's talk about this, let's pray about this. Uh, for example, you know, in, you know, the providing funds for people who need it. More than one person usually is deciding what, how to, you know, administer you know, money to someone in need because you know any one person might not have all the information or could be incorrect. You know, it's like the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin wasn't just one person; it was you know, a lot. This is one reason why you know I think that you know Yeshua was tried without all the people there because those who wanted to try him knew that they wouldn't have the peer review arguments that they would have had had the entire court been gathered to try him. So they knew they could get away with probably just, you know, trying him and having him done away with rather than had they had everyone there. And that's why Jethro told him to appoint multiple people, you know, tens, hundreds, thousands, you know, have them over, you know, multiple groups of people all the way down to about 10. I was telling some of the ladies in the office this week, you know, when I was uh, you know, serving in the guard, one of the things that we were told early on was a human being cannot psychologically. After that, your mind starts to be more and more distracted. And that's why you know, the military splits up leadership into different groups, you know. But obviously, this isn't a military thing, this is an ancient thing. Jethro told him to appoint multiple people over multiple groups so they could answer their questions and so they could disciple. You know, them. And this doesn't mean everyone will be discipling everyone at any given time, but you know, those who needed discipling and wanted it could have access to it because there would be you know, a plethora of judges and teachers. People
disciple these people, to teach them the law and how to walk after God. And so, you know, I think one of the things I've come away with, especially after this past year, lots of things online and then, uh, you know, the believing community that, you know, sometimes if the people saying things had been vetted out better, it wouldn't result in some of the hurt that we have now on the other side of, you know, 2020. So, you know, I, you know, I want to encourage people, find good teachers. You know, find, honor good teaching. You know, you don't have to make uh, listening to someone a personality uh, following. You can, it can simply just be truthful, God-led teaching. And you can listen to it and learn and grow from it. I listen to several podcasts, you know, about different people who I don't, I don't know anything really about the people. But what they tell is true, you know. And I, but I do know that most of them are educated. I don't know how high of an education, but I know they're trained and ordained people. That you know they've been, they've had hands laid on them, and they've you know been put forth in the world to disciple people and lead communities closer to God, you know, to glorify Him, to bless each other. And, you know, that was something that I struggled with a long time, and this partial reading it this week really brought that back to memory that, you know, we have to be careful who we listen to. Look for educated people. And look for people who are going to lead you to bless God and those around you. And that, you know, discipleship is training. And training sometimes hurts. If you go to the gym, you know, you have to tear muscle to build, to build it up. So sometimes you have to get knocked down a little while you're being discipled and taught. And, uh, you know, so, you know, when that happens, when you're being discipled or discipling others, encourage those who you're discipling and pouring into, you know, not to give up, you know, because that's just a part of it. You have to get back up and keep going. And don't get overwhelmed. That's why you make disciples. So that way you can pass off other people who come to you to them and they can grow with them under God. Just make sure they're vetted. But anyway, that's what I have come to with you from this week. And I enjoyed reading this partial. So, thank you for listening. Thank you.